Let's look in Romans chapter 12. I'm going to tell you like the Campbellite man told me one time, let's take our Bibles and study together for a few moments this morning. He uh, kind of trapped me up there and we had a good time looking at the Word of the Lord one time. But I'm grateful to be here. I always look forward to the Friday morning service of camp meeting. Uh, and this may sound strange to you, but I know what I'm saying. I look forward to it because we go our separate ways. And in doing that, it reminds me of that day when we'll never separate again. When we'll all gather together in uh, God's heaven without the loss of one for whom He died and for whom He redeemed. And we'll gather together over there never to separate anymore. And I'm looking forward to that day. Most of all, I'm looking forward to being free from myself. Free from this prison of sin that I dwell in. Free from this body of corruption. And at home with our Savior made in His likeness. And secondly, I always look forward to Friday hoping that there will be some brethren from Jerusalem that have come to spy out our liberty that we have in Christ as we partake of the pork. They'll get that in a minute too. Romans chapter 12. If you permit me and if you'll allow me and read along with me, I'd like to read the entirety of the chapter. And I'm going to say something from the entirety of the chapter, but I promise I'll not be too long. The Apostle Paul says in verse number 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let me say something right there before I read too far. The will of God is not hid somewhere deep down in a hidden place. It's plainly revealed in the Word of God. What I find for most people is that they don't have trouble knowing what is the will of God. They have trouble doing what is the will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit. 
serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide all th- or provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Now I don't think I'd do any harm to the text to say if it's not possible, then let them go their way, you go your way, and keep your mouth closed about it. Amen. Don't post about it on Facebook. By the way, God don't have to have your password to see what you're saying. Right? He don't have to. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, kick him. No, that's not what it says. It says feed him. If he thirst, let him lick sand. No, it says give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Thank you. You can be seated. This is the Word of God. I want to preach for a few moments if God would help me this morning. Just leave this with you very simply. I want to preach if God would help me on the life that truth calls us to live. The life this morning that truth calls us that are saved to live. I've said it before this week, but I really uh, felt it necessary to drive home the point. And I may be like uh, Brother Jeremy this morning and not get very stirred up. Just maybe kind of give this to you as it comes in the Word of God, which I appreciate the message, Brother. Thank you. That was a help and an encouragement to me. But Christianity is not just a set of propositional truths or lifeless truths that we sign up to and that we believe. The truth of the Christian faith, the truth of the Word of God calls us to live a life that honors that truth, that echoes that truth to a lost and to a dying world. And Paul begins this chapter. Now the chapter calls me, the the text uh, sort of guides me to sort of lay a foundation of what he's already said in the previous 11 chapters because he says, I beseech you therefore, based on everything that he has covered up until this point. I love the, the Apostle Paul and the way he writes. The Holy Spirit was wise to use this man because he is very systematic in his thinking. You can follow it along. It's with a purpose and it's laid out and it is... It is so that the people of God can learn what they need to know to inform them to live how they need to live. His, his letters are usually laid out with a very strong doctrinal emphasis. And then he will transition into a practical emphasis. Get your head right, get your heart right, and that will get your life right. So he says, I beseech you therefore on the things that he's covered in the book of Romans. Now, I'm not going to cover all 11 chapters, but maybe just kind of group them together a little bit before for you. 
But you know in the 11 chapters leading up to, to this particular emphasis in this text, he's covered the major doctrines of the Christian faith. He gives his salutation in the first 18 verses of chapter number 1, but then starting about verse number 18, going all the way through to the, nearly the end of chapter number 3, he deals with the sinfulness of mankind. Just like a skilled lawyer. It's a good thing that, that uh, Paul was not the prosecuting attorney in the O.J. case. O.J. would have never gotten off, would he? Because Paul lays out the systematic indictment of the whole human race. He, he proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that man is utterly sinful. That man is incapable of saving himself. And that man's chief problem is that he is the subject of God's already revealed wrath. That the wrath of God is already revealed from heaven against the kind of ungodliness that all men manifest. Whether you're a religious man or a heathen man. Whether you're a civilized man or an uncivilized man. Paul proves them all under sin and incapable of saving themselves. But then, he talks about beginning in about verse 21 of chapter number 3. He talks about Christ having been set forth by God Himself to be a propitiation for our sins through faith in His blood. And that through faith in Christ alone, by grace alone, we can be saved from the wrath of God to come. That we can be justified from all the things from which we have committed and trespassed in the law of God. He, he, he proves that faith alone in Christ is not a new concept. He goes back to the Old Testament and brings forward Abraham and proves how Abraham was justified by faith alone. He believed the promise of God. He believed God and moved by faith. And it was counted unto him or it was imputed to his account as righteousness when he believed God. He showed how that faith alone justifies us. And then all the different blessings in chapter number 5 that goes with salvation. Therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we also have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And he just keeps on going on adding to all the full blessings of justification. Then he deals with sanctification. How that there is a body of sin that remains in the life of a believer, but there's a new nature that's given to him. And how these two war with one another. That's Romans 6 and Romans chapter number 7. And that in his flesh, I told you I'd go through this real quickly. Don't get worried that I'm going to bog down. I'm going to try to move through this just as quickly as I can. How he proves in Romans chapter number 7 that in his flesh there is no victory. But in Romans chapter number 8, it's all about the Spirit of God. And how that there is victory in the Spirit. That there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but walk after the Spirit. And he walks down through there and shows us how the Spirit gives us the victorious life in Christ. It, that chapter begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. That He is persuaded that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. So He's talked about sin. He's talked about salvation. He's talked about sanctification. He's talked about the Spirit-filled victorious life. He deals with the matters of God's sovereignty in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. 
11. He deals with what God is doing through and in the nation of Israel. He deals with how God is calling the people from every nation under the sun and uniting them in one body in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And then he comes to Romans 12 and says, based on every bit of that, there's a life that I call you to live this morning. There is a shoe leather Christianity that I call you to live in the sight of the Holy God. We find out first of all that it involves our body. It involves our body. Now there seems to be an attitude amongst the professing Christian today with whatever I do with my life is no business of anybody else's. It's my life. It's my body. I'll do with it as I please. But brethren, that is foreign to the t- teachings of the New Testament. What Paul said, know you not that you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore you're to glorify God in your, listen, I know a lot of folks say, well preacher, I may not do right in my body, but God knows my heart. See that's the scary thing, is that God does know your heart. And your heart is is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And what you do most of the time on the outside is a reflection of what you are on the inside. A good tree cannot bring forth corrupt fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth, uh, my friend, good fruit. Paul says this thing of the Christian life. It deals with the whole of man. Yes, it starts on the inside. Yes, there is a powerful resurrection of the inward man that raises us to new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. The things of God don't start from the outside and permeate their way in. But beloved, mark my words this morning that God's work does start on the inward man but it will come out on the outward man this morning. It involves your body. Look at what Paul said here to do. To present our bodies a living sacrifice. Now he's already told us to reckon ourselves indeed dead unto sin. That makes a lot of sense to me. That's an accounting term. And I do some of that for a living often. That means we're to look at God's ledger and reckon whatever He's put in the ledger to be so. And He says on His ledger that our bodies are dead because of sin, even though we feel that they're alive towards sin. But we know and we believe by faith that they are dead indeed under the things of sin. But Paul says to take this dead body, mortify it, which is what he's told us to do in other pieces of Scripture, other portions of Scripture, which you know what a mortician does. He makes a dead man look alive, does he not? Best he can. So you are to take your dead body and present it as it is alive. And you don't present it to the brethren, notice what the text says, but you present your body to God. You offer up your body, you offer up your life as a sacrifice to be used in His service. Now this can't be done apart from holiness. Huh? You might as well not think that you can walk dirty with the world all week and come in on Sunday and present your body to shout the glory of God. It ain't going to work like that. In fact, God will make you look like a fool. Will He not? He'll make you look like you're some kind of insane idiot that's lost your mind. But that life that has submitted itself throughout the week, throughout the days of the week, no matter where you go, whether it be on your job, whether it be on your school, whether you be around the lost world. Now the Lord has called us to come out from among the world and be a separate people, but we are still in the world. 
We are not of the world. We are in the world. And as we walk in this world, God has called us to present our bodies holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now that doesn't mean you do whatever you feel. I've had people come to me and say, well, Brother Chris, you know there is this that needs to be done in the church, and there's this that needs to be done in the church, but I just don't feel like that's my reasonable service. And what they're meaning is, is that that's not convenient for them to do. But God's not calling you here to do what's convenient to you. That when He talks about your reasonable service, what He's talking about is, in light of what He's done for you, in light of the sacrifice that Christ has made for you, in the fact that He gave His body, which He did give His body. The Bible said when He came in the world, He came in the world to do the will of God. Hebrews chapter number 10. And in sacrifices and in burnt offerings, God had had no pleasure, but a body He prepared for Christ. And Christ took that body and bore His sins upon Calvary's tree and gave Himself a ransom for you. And in light of that, it is reasonable according to this text for you to take your body which has been purchased by the blood of Christ and offer it up to be used for the glory of God. In order to do it, you can't be conformed to this world which is what the world wants to do to you. I've often thought of it like this. I've heard it preached and I can't find any way to argue against it, but the Christian has three great enemies, right? Got the flesh. And the flesh wants to control you through the lusts of it. If you're not too careful, if you don't walk in the Spirit, you walk, and really, they're, 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 they're polar opposites and you can't do one without doing the other. I mean, you absolutely can't walk in the flesh without denying the Spirit. And you can't walk in the Spirit without denying the flesh. There's not a little sliver of, of middle ground between the truth. You're either doing one or the other. And as you're walking in the Spirit, you're fulfilling the, or in the flesh, you're fulfilling the lust thereof. And they will control you and they will consume you. You look like you need an example. What about Samson? Used mightily of God. But yet he had a lust problem. And he walked in paths that fed his lust. And when it was all said and done with, his lust consumed him. And it conquered him. I know God used him in the end, but he died as a result of it. And your flesh will do the same thing to you. Huh? I've been praying a lot about what to tell my niece. And we're going to sit down and have a talk when I get home, hopefully tonight. And I don't know, I woke up with this, this strange thought on my mind, Brother Larry. Never have thought about this. But it's what I thought about when I woke up. And I hope it'll make sense to her. It'd be crazy for me to sit down with a 16-year-old and try to approach this thing from a theological perspective. She's going to look at me like a calf at a new gate. But I'm going to try to get it in terms where she'll understand. I'm going to try to tell her, say, look, you're like that little goldfish that was in a big old bowl and had all kind of room and had all kind of freedom. But all that goldfish ever did was swim along the edge looking outside, thinking that everything that that little goldfish needed was outside the bowl until it got put outside the bowl and found out that there was no water outside the bowl for it to breathe. And it was lifeless and flopping there and there was a cat that come along and wanted to eat the goldfish. 
Well, that's exactly what your flesh will tell you. That in your flesh, living in the lust thereof, there's all kind of freedom. But what you don't understand is that unrestrained liberty is no freedom whatsoever. Ask the prodigal son. That's what he wanted. He wanted his freedom. And so he went to his father and asked for his freedom. And look where his freedom led him. It led him to the hog pit. I'm not saying that there's a better life in bondage. I'm not in bondage. I'm standing fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made me free. Your flesh wants to control you through the lust of it. The devil, that's the other great enemy of the Christian, wants to confuse your mind through his lies. And the world wants you to conform to its way of thinking. But Paul said here, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that come? By the glorious, glorious, glorious liberty and truth of the Word of the Lord. It will transform your life, will it not? I know it's so. And in doing so, you'll prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You'll find that the Word of God is good, or the will of God is good. You'll find that the will of God is acceptable, and you'll find that it's perfect. God intends for you to take a lie, your life, the life that truth calls us to live, and to submit your body into His hands to be used in His service. Secondly, it involves not only your body, but it involves the body. That's what verses 3 through 12 talk about. That truth calls you to live a life that not only pleases God in your body, but it calls you to be intimately connected with the body. And I'm talking about the body of Christ. Verse number 5. So we being many are one body in Christ. You have never met a person that God saved that it was not God's will for that person to not be involved in the body of Christ. Huh? no such thing as living Christianity in a vacuum and in isolation. It's meant to be lived in a community of faith with fellow believers. How do you know that, Brother Chris? Because everybody that God saves, look at verse number 3, everybody that God saves, now, everybody that God saves, God uniquely gifts them. Everybody. There is nobody that God saves that He doesn't uniquely gift them to serve in the body of Christ. He does that for everybody. I say it like this. He saves everybody on purpose and for a purpose. There are no accidents in God's family. <laughs> oh, I probably told you this. If I didn't, I should have. I remember when we were trying to have... And you, you do whatever you want to. You live however you want to, I guess. But I convicted and convinced from the Word of the Lord that when my wife and I got married that we weren't going to participate in this family planning business. We weren't going to do that. We were just going to be man and wife and let God bless however God blessed. <laughs> Can I tell a personal story? Family member pulled us aside. Allison had been talking, you know, and Family men pulled us aside and said, hold on just a minute. Now, if you do that, you're going to have a Brady Bunch. I said, well, if that happens, God knows how to feed the birds of all the earth and He'll take care of us. 
That's just what we did. You do whatever you want to do. I don't know about all this, this pregnancy prevention stuff and all this stuff like that, you know. And it's amazing to me. Now, I'm getting a little off track here, but it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. I could preach on abortion and folks would shout and holler and run the aisles. But when we talk about things that medically kill fetuses in the wombs of mothers, people just kind of go silent, you know. <sighs> kind of hypocritical, aren't we? I'm going to tell you why a lot of times they don't want you to preach on it in this day. I'm not talking about this crowd for the most part because I know, I know y'all are the cream of the crop. But I'm going to tell you a lot of places I've been and I've said things like that when God put it on my heart. They'll pull it aside and say, now you better watch out because you've got a lot of mamas around here that, that have got their daughters on that medicine, you know, because they know they're running around doing such and such. And I said, well, God help that kind of wickedness. That's wickedness. Amen? God's either getting control or He's not. And I know, I know somebody said, well, if you've got that applied in all phases of your life, I'm trying my best. But that was one place where God helped me to apply it real quick like. But we didn't have a baby right off. And we had a lot of trouble with it. Had a lot of trouble with it. We went and saw doctors. And uh, they diagnosed our condition. And uh, I remember going into the boss that I had at the time and saying, I'm going to need these days off. And she said, why, why do you need those days off? It was four or five days. And I said, well, we need to go to the doctor and figure out What's going wrong with us? And uh, I won't never forget it, Brother Eldon. She, she pushed back from her desk like that. She said, well, she, she put her hands up like that. She said, that's just another thing I need to thank God for. I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, all of my children were an accident. And she said, now I love my children, don't get me wrong. She said, but we weren't planning them, we weren't trying. It just slipped up and happened. And I went back to my desk and sat down. My old preacher of mine got to work. I don't know how y'all are. But I mean, everything that comes into my life, it filters through that preaching prism, you know. That's just how I'm wired. And I sat down at my desk and I said, thank you, Lord, that in your family, there are no accidents. Every, 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 every womb in which He impregnates the seed of the Word of God in the heart of a sinner, He means to do it. And everyone that He brings to the birth, He intends to do it by His power. He does it on purpose and for purpose. God's uniquely gift you. He didn't save you and put you on a second class of Christians that He can't use if He saved you. He wants to squeeze every drop of His glory out of your life and use you for His purpose. And He's gifted you to do it. Now nobody ought to think highly of themselves. What that means is you ought not to think any more of yourself than the least Christian in the body. Because we're all in one body. That's what the text is saying. Yes, there is a head. And yes, there is a little toe. But you try to get that head to move that body without that little toe in its place, it'll make a difference. My grandmother had sugar just like I do and she stumped her toe one time. And it set up infection. And eventually they had to take off the toe and take off the foot. And I'm telling you, after the wound that was on that little toe, she was never the same. And that's how it is in the body of Christ. He's dealt to every man, according as God hath dealt to every man, the measure of faith within the body of Christ. This text is in the context of the body of Christ. Just like you was talking about a minute ago. Thank you, Brother Jerry. I have, I've read 1 Peter chapter number 5. 
more times than what I can count, and I have never seen that promise of casting your cares upon Him for He careth for you. I know it applies to every Christian, but He is talking to preachers in that text. So that was an extra special blessing to me this morning, knowing that He cares about preachers like me and preachers like you. We're all members of the same body. And so God wants us to take the unique gifts that He's given to us and use them in the body. He wants us to relate to one another right. Now it's amazing to me. And no matter what your gift is, let me look at these right quick. There's a diversity of gifts in verse number 6. But whatever God's given to you, use it. If He's gifted you to prophesy, which is not to tell the future. Prophesy to foretell the Word of God. Tell it forth. Huh? Tell it forth to declare what God has spoken to you. If that's, the, if that's the gift that God's given to you, then do it. If God's given you the gift to minister, to help others in their affliction and in their needs, get busy doing it. If He's gifted you to teach, then teach. If He's uniquely gifted you to exhort fellow believers to be an encouragement to them, then do it. If He's given you, listen, this is something I felt like last night that God wanted me to hit especially. Look at it in verse number 8. Look at it, verse number 8. He that giveth, that means if God's uniquely gifted you to give monetarily or with the abundance of gift, let, you, let it be done. Then do, do your giving with simplicity. That means with no strings attached. That means don't intentionally let the offering plate go by so you can go up to the pastor after the service and say, look what I'm giving. I forgot the plate, pastor. Would you put that in there for me? Huh? Surely people wouldn't do something like that. <laughs> Hold on, preacher. I know I got one vote, but do you know how much I give? That maybe means I get two votes. No? No, 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 no. If God's given you the ability to give then give out of simplicity. Just do it simply because you love Jesus. And do it simply because you don't want leverage in the church, but you want to see His work go forward. Amen! That's as much in the Word of God as is that we know we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. And then it seems to me that verses 9-13 through 13 would not be necessary, but they are necessary. Not only put you in the body to work right, but God put you in the body to relate, light, re relate rightly to one another. Let love be without dissimulation. You don't know what that word dissimulation means. It's all, the best that I can figure out, and Brother Wayne can correct me if I'm wrong. But it, it, basically what he's saying is here, don't love with masks on. Don't love with no deceit. In other words... Brother Jeremy said it right. A lot of times you'll see folks in the body that you know they're not getting along. And you'll have fellowship time. And they'll go up to one another with, God bless you. Or you know the preacher's been preaching right down your row. And you get to the back door and say, Pastor, that message was such a blessing. Only to get in your car and take the mask off. Love without dissimulation. Love with no masks on. Love with no deceit. 
If you can't honestly tell them, then grab them by the arm and get in the altar and ask the Holy Spirit to fix it and love one another. Love one another. That's God's will for your life. It's for you to love the people with whom God has placed you. God has sovereignly placed you wherever He's placed you. I don't know. This might get me run off too. I don't know. But I don't know about this business. We, we got it down in our country a lot. They'll be planted in a local body, you know. And then something will happen. Things won't go their way. And all of a sudden they'll come by and say, Well, preacher, we just feel like God's finished with us here. And we just feel like we need to move along. Now, what were we talking about last night? Where are you going? Well, we don't know just yet. God ain't showed us that. Really? Well, I, listen. I know God moves His people. I know God moves His men from place to place. And providentially, God may in His providence change the circumstances of your life to where you have to leave that local body and unite with another local body. And we have evidence of that in Romans chapter number 16. They, Paul had sent a lady to their fellowship and he sent a letter of recommendation with her for her to be received into their fellowship because she was a fellow laborer in the gospel. But unless God changes the circumstances providentially of your life, if the man of God is feeding you, preaching out of the right Bible, amen, preaching the gospel right, dealing with sinners right, leading the church right, stay in there with him. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned to one another. I don't, I don't have to preach this very much. It's pretty plain, ain't it? Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints. Distributing the necessity of the saints given to hospitality. God's people shouldn't be greedy people. A lot of, I, before I went to Pastor Moulton and then I immediately left there and went to Pastor Naperville, there was a bunch of churches. A bunch of churches that asked me about being. I'm not saying that bragging. That's just the way it was and I didn't feel led to go to any of them. But Brother Dale, they had set me down. Now we're doing good, preacher. And more times than not, Brother Eldon, they'd say, we're doing good. we got X amount of thousand dollars in the bank. And I'd say, well, my soul, what are you doing with it? What are you do How are you using that to glorify God, to distribute to the needs of the people, to be given to hospitality? That's, how, that's the life that God wants you to live. He doesn't want you to, to get all, I love the way Brother Mitchell says it, to get all you can, can all you get, then sit on the can. He doesn't mean for us to hoard our resources. As He gives to us, we take care of our family first because a man that will not provide for his own is worse than an infidel and he's denied the faith. He shouldn't be a deacon at the church. Amen? He's worse than an infidel if he will not provide for his own. But once we've provided for our own, we are to give because God has freely given to us. This is the life that truth calls us to live. It tells us to what to do with our body. It tells us what to do in the body. And it tells us to what to do with those that are without the body. Look at verse number 14. Bless them which persecute you. Boy, I wish that wasn't in there. 
Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do. Rejoice. Weep with them that weep. What that means is if somebody that you know, now he's talking about folks that are outside the body. For the most part, I believe in this section of Scripture. What that means is, is when somebody comes around and they're rejoicing and you get mad about it, don't start pouting to try to, to, try to bring down their joy. Just rejoice with them. Say, bless your heart. Amen. When folks are weeping over folks, when you see somebody that you knew was heading the wrong direction and they ultimately hit that tragic place in their life, Christian folk don't come around and say, I told you so. You weep with them. You weep with them. You say, oh, bro. And I found more times than not that old soft heart will melt their hard heart. There's a fellow that left our church. Wouldn't tell me why. I tried. I called. I said, hey, brother, let's meet. Let's figure out what's going on here. He wouldn't talk to me, and I finally just kind of let it go, you know. Just kind of let it go. And uh, I told myself, I said, well, if God wants us to talk, He'll, he'll arrange it. He'll, he'll arrange it. Well, one Thursday night, I was off visiting a sick person. My wife went down to town. They was having a homecoming parade down there in the town. She called me, and she said, you won't never guess who I saw tonight. And it was that fella. And I said, my soul. I said, I should have been there with her. I'd have got to talk to him. And I got home that night at 9 o'clock. 9.30, my phone rang. He said, preacher, he said, pray for my boy. He's been in a bad accident. He said, I'm not saying you have to come. He said, but he said, I just want you to pray. But I didn't even think about it. I just got up and went, you know. Spinal, possible spinal injury. And I got down there and I thought, well, that whole room will be full of people. He won't want to talk. And this probably ain't the appropriate time to do it anyway. Just go down there and pray for his boy. But when I got back there, they had already pushed him out of the room because they were doing some tests on the boy and all the family had left and it was just me and him sat down together. <laughs> and I didn't bring it up. I just put my arm around him. He said, Brother Chris, he said, what if my boy's hurt bad? I said, I said, buddy, I said, they said, God will help you. Just submit to him. Just walk with him. I said, we'll pray. We'll help you any way that we can. He turned around. You want to know what he said, Brother Wayne? He said, I'm sorry. We should have never left. He brought it up. Weep with them that weep. Rejoice with them that rejoice. Mind not high things. Condescend to men of low estate. Some highfalutin person out of the neighborhood that comes into your church that could offer a lot of money to the church. Don't go back there and make over all them and bypass the poor boy. That's what it teaches. That's what it teaches. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men if it be possible. And sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes it is absolutely impossible. Folks don't... I think there are folks that thrive and live like a fish breathes water through its gills. They thrive on strife and envy. You can't help people like that. Brother Jeremy, you're absolutely right. You'll drive yourself nuts trying to minister to folks like that. You'll sit around thinking, thinking, how in the world can I help these folks? How can I show them the grace of God? How can I show them the love of God? 
And you'll find out later that they're sitting around not thinking the same things. You're killing yourselves trying to get them to God and they don't love God. They don't care about God. You've just got to kind of wash your hands up. Sometimes you can't be friends with people. I've learned that. Sometimes, sometimes you never did anything wrong. And, and I heard Brother Steve Price say one time, and I believe it, he said, if you care about unity, sometimes you'll go to folks and tell them, I don't know what I did wrong, even though you know you were, weren't wrong, but you'll go for the sake of unity and take the position of being wrong just so you can have unity. But sometimes you'll go to them in a spirit of humility like that, and they'll just... They don't want nothing to do with you. You'll cry yourself to sleep at night thinking about that. You'll worry yourself to death about that. Well, it just ain't possible to live peaceful with them. So if it's not possible, then you can't. But if it is possible, if it means you saying you're wrong, if it means you apologizing, if it means you saying I didn't do right, then do it. Live peaceably with all men. And don't try to get them back. That's what that text says right there. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Well, they ain't going to talk about my youngins like that. Avenge not yourselves. That's what it says. This is the Word of the Lord. Somebody said, well, brother, I had one of these uh, college age, and I can say that now because I'm not college age anymore. I'm 36 years old. Unless I go get a doctor, then I'll be college age. And I'm not intending on doing that. One of these college age kids come to me at my church. They said, we're a red letter Christian. I said, huh? Of course, the Bible that I own don't even have red letters in it. It's a Cambridge. It didn't come with red letters. And I'll tell you what I did. I took a red pencil and I went through there and I colored all of them in because my eyes are trained to see that. Just because that's the Bibles I've read my whole life. But my Bible don't even have red letters. And I said, well, bless your heart, hon. I said, in reality, if you believe the doctrine of inspiration, they're all red letters. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath. When you try to avenge yourself, you step in the way of God carrying out His work in their lives. And God don't need you to do His business. He'll get them. It may be at the day of judgment, but the day of judgment is going to reveal everything. So in light of all that, verse number 20, if my enemy hunger, if that man's been lying about you and your kids and everything like that, comes to your house and say, look, I'm starving to death. You don't slam the door in his face. You say, come on in. we got some beans and taters. we got enough for you. And if you have to go without yourself, you give it to him. If he's thirst. Give him something to drink. This is real Christianity. This kind of faith lived out will affect people. And this is living the gospel. This is. There was not a little rubber band on Paul's wrist when he was writing this saying WWJD question mark. He didn't have that, but he's doing what Jesus would have done. Jesus did it, did he not? He knew Judas was going to sell him out. And what did he do? He sat down at the table with him that night and dipped his bread in the sop with him. And allowed him to kiss him on the cheek. Find enemy hunger, feed him. If he's thirst, give him to drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire.
on his head. That does, can I say one more thing? That doesn't mean you sit back and say, I'm going to be nice so you don't go to get you. No, what that does is true, genuine, honest sincerity from your heart is going to convict that feller. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the life that truth calls us to live. And I know it's not, it's not necessarily what comes natural to you. It's not what comes easy. But it is the life that Christ gives you and I the power to live as we live out the gospel in our lives. May the Lord bless you. Thank you for letting me preach today.